to trivialize it, but it's the Uno Swap Hands card. Alright, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurda. And we are recording remotely today, which is something different because usually when it's me and you, we're in the same room. When we have guests who aren't close enough, we then do the remotely thing. But today we, we decided to go remote. Yeah, I mean... For people who live in Southern California, you understand that eight or 10 miles between us actually can equate to 30 <laughs> minutes to an hour. Anywhere else is like, you're real close, you're down the road. It's like, no, sometimes I'm thankful for technology today. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Not that recording the podcast isn't important and everything else, but an hour or so sitting in the car for an hour or so of recording, reclaiming a piece of my life. That's what you're telling me. It's nothing to do that we didn't go to the movies together. I'm not not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who doesn't live in Southern California or in California in general, yeah, that's usually how it works down here is if we're eight miles away, that's probably about an hour worth of driving. But I think most people get that. When we did our cross-country trip, it was a lot of like people were talking about like their traffic in, in their states. And I was like, you guys have no idea what traffic is. And then you just mentioned to people like, we're from California and they're like, oh, okay, you guys, you understand traffic in a different level. And I'm like, yeah, you say traffic, but cars are still moving. We say traffic and you're basically in a parking lot in the freeway. They're like, oh, there's more cars on the road. Right. Traffic. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, cars are stopped. That's traffic to us. Yeah. So Murdoch didn't, didn't decide to drive down this way so we could get in the studio and do it, but that's fine. Modern technology has helped out. And so we are grateful for that. Honestly, it worked out for me. I have the kids right now at home. This works out perfectly for me, but we are continuing on with villains. We're looking at an interesting villain today, Jezebel with a dash sprinkled in of Ahab. Yeah, Jezebel with a dash of Ahab. But that's when you look at it, because when you look at what's going on there, Jezebel, for us focusing on her, there is more... Ahab in the scriptures you know it's a lot because Ahab being the king of Israel at that point and everything going on there but for us to focus in on Jezebel I think that there's some interesting things that we can draw out there for our series. I'm going to start off with 1 Kings 21 through 25 again it's not the introduction of Jezebel or Ahab and where they're at it's kind of in the middle of the story but I found these two verses to be really just the description of what we're looking at so that way when you read these you're going to see like the general idea of what's going on here but it says therefore or there was never anyone like ahab who sold himself to evil in the eyes of the lord urged on by jezebel his wife he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the amorites the lord drove out before israel so i just thought that was really telling that ahab the king and I like the verbiage in this in this passage so much. It was who sold himself to evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like he sold himself. He did this. He like gave up who he was to do evil. And then it says, and was urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So she was the one kind of urging him on in that direction. And as we get to the introduction of who they both are, you'll see why that makes more sense. And going after idols, like that says so much to me that he pursued idols, like he pursued a life chasing after idolatry and everything like that. So I really like how that verse kind of just ties up their life in a nutshell. Yeah. So right now I'm going to give just some background on Jezebel and why it makes sense that she wouldn't stop him from doing that and why she would be urging him on. And I just found this stuff really cool when I started digging into her and her past because it didn't exactly have this in the scriptures, there's somewhat of her background there. But then when you look at some outside sources like Josephus and some other historians and other people from that time, we start piecing together. And then when we look at even the place where she's from and stuff. So Jezebel, she was a princess from Phoenicia. And when you look at that, so she was a daughter of a king. King over there was, I believe his name was Ethbael. 
when you were looking at Phoenicia, that's kind of that area of Tyre and Sidon. So when you're looking at Tyre and Sidon, if you're familiar somewhat with your Old Testament, that comes up like, oh, I think that God is kind of against those places at times. I believe in Ezekiel, there's kind of a reprimand um, against the, the ruler of Tyre. And whether that's looking at earthly person or a spiritual being, that's a cool conversation. But Tyre and Sidon, so that's where she's coming from. And when you look at this area of Phoenicia, her dad being the king would have also been the high priest. When you're looking at him being the high priest, it's not the high priest of Israel serving the God of, of the Bible. He's the high priest of Baal. And when you have Baal and all of that worship and everything there, so he's the king and the priest. Go look at the practices of the Canaanite gods and what it is to serve them. Like, it's not a pretty sight. And then when you look at Jezebel coming in, a lot of times in that society, she would have been seen as the high priestess being the daughter and kind of the high priestess coming in of Ashtaroth. There's different variations of that name, but you have Baal and Ashtaroth. They're kind of the two main gods. And if you're familiar with like the Asherah pole that gets put up and everything. So where she's coming in, she's royalty and she's raised under the high priest and possibly a high priestess herself in worshiping these Canaanite gods. When you have her getting married in with King Ahab, yeah, she's bringing those gods with her and she's bringing the ruthlessness of a Canaanite ruler. Like there wasn't the moralities, there wasn't the consciousness of stuff. It's like this pure power plays over there. And we see that come out in her life. That's like, that's how she was raised up. And when she comes in and she brings in her religion, it's like, these are my gods. My gods are better. I'm coming over here and my gods are going to rule this place because that's where I'm from. It's not like, oh, I'm your wife. I'm going to submit to whatever's going on. I'm coming into your country. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not how I was raised. And then just when you're looking at that a political type marriage where you have Israel, you know, you've got them a little bit further down the coast but Tyre and Sidon they're a big port city it opened up a bunch of trade they're a powerful area so you got army connections and trade connections and everything else so you see it's a political thing it's a religious thing and everything else but Jezebel coming in she was raised up into the lifestyle that we see her continuing in the scriptures as far as her ruthlessness as far as her bringing in all of her religion and Basically, she took Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and said, no, we're not going to be worshiping you anymore. Put the worship of Yahweh down, which it was kind of already down. Ahab wasn't really promoting that, but she just instated her gods in place of. I'm glad you brought a lot of that up because that's a lot of great history that needs to be touched on. I actually read somewhere that they said that her dad killed someone else to take leadership. Yeah, I believe it was his brother. Yeah. So, I mean, we see this all the time with those the, with the king's of that realm in that time frame was we kill someone to take over ownership and that's just how they lived it was just like that ruthlessness so being raised in all that too I, I like the Tyree tie-in too because we talked about that with Doug a little bit right we touched on the judgment that was given to the king of Tyree but then there was that portion where it kind of goes into the description of what it may have happened to Satan when he got cast out from heaven so just looking at that, and I, this is pure speculation on my part and just a thought process that came into my head when you brought it up was coming into this marriage and this relationship with Ahab. If you're looking at Tyree kind of being the king over there, plus also then the satanicness that kind of was maybe running in there, that she is bringing the enemy, this marriage brought the enemy in a sense into Israel. And you see the way she attacks the, the Israelites because there's a portion of, of her life when you get into the first Kings where she's killing the prophets. She's going out there and, and putting a hit on all the prophets to take them out. Right. So bringing that, I mean, when we look at her bringing it in, this is somewhat of a cycle because Solomon with all of his wives and they brought in their beliefs and they started setting up all the altars to the other gods and everything. But we definitely get that what was going on there with his wife, Solomon still kind of remained in control and he was the one bowing down to them as well and he lost his way. But when we have Jezebel coming in, she is an active agent in really going after the prophets, like you were saying. And so we have the prophets as a whole and she's just going out murdering them, right? She's tearing them down. And then we have cool interactions with Elijah specifically. And I think that that's one of the differences between Solomon and his wife. There was all the same worship going on then. But now at this point in Israel history, Elijah's like, nope, we're not playing that game. Like this is spiritual warfare right here. We are 
we are not going to let that happen. Elijah seems to be the big, I don't want to say protagonist. I think that's the wrong word. He's the hero in the story while, you know, dealing with Jezebel and Ahab. There's a lot of back and forth between them. There's the battle on Mar uh, Mount Carmel where they have the Baal gods, right? Ahab brings all of the, the gods of Baal and, and they try to see who, whose god lights the sacrifice on fire. Whoever's god does it will know that that's the real god. So you had like all of Baal's guys, they were doing it for hours, right? They were whipping themselves, cutting themselves and trying to call their attention to their God. And, and this is where Elijah becomes kind of cool in the story because he's over there like mocking them like, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. I think some people even interpret some of it saying like, maybe he's on the toilet. Like that's why he can't hear you guys. Yeah. And yeah. It, so it's fun. And then he just prays. Once they're done, he just prays and God just consumes the sacrifice. I think that water was poured on, poured on it too a bunch of times to even make it seem like okay this turning on fire wouldn't be a normal thing it would be a god thing and then when jezebel hears about this she just i think it says she's like just enraged and furious and threatens elijah and like if you're still alive before i die then that's going to be like my gods will be upset at me or something like that i think if you're still alive by this time tomorrow mm -hmm. so when looking at that and her getting enraged and everything and i just want to throw in a tidbit from something that i've studied a bit on that whole elijah sequence with with the with the other prophets is when it talks about god consuming it with fire it seems to be that the fire coming from heaven means like a lightning bolt like it was lightning coming down from like fire from the skies type of thing that was a descriptor of lightning which was then an even bigger jab at the prophets of baal because baal was like a storm god so it's like, oh, your God can't do it. But like, look, my God is the God over all of these things. And he's going to come and consume. So for anybody who's read that story a lot and seen the, the fire coming down, I think that's an interesting tidbit that, again, another layer to it. But Jezebel being so enraged, because what we learn about Jezebel with her coming in and coming to the throne. So she's coming with resources and just at her royal table, she has, I believe is 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah or maybe that flipped 850 prophets of these other gods that she has at her table that she's taking care of them. And again, she's bringing in, these are her people. And what we have as part of the conditions for Elijah and these other prophets is, Hey, if, if your God does it, then kill me. If my God does it, we're going to kill all of you. So she's enraged because all of her prophets just got slaughtered. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Like if your boys get taken out, then like, that's going to make you even more upset, especially when you look into the story of it more of like she is coming at the prophets of, of God. She is coming at them and attacking them. And then in one instance, all of the prophets are taken out. And I read this somewhere and I thought it was fascinating to tie in that during this time, it was definitely a time of battle of two things. It was the battle of Baal and it was the battle of God and who the Israelites were worshiping. Because even a, a more perspective of this is Ahab wasn't king over all of Israel. There was a king of Judah, so there was a, a small sect, and Ahab was just the king of the other 11 tribes, and so he was king over that. And one thing that I thought about Ahab too, 10, that's right, because the Levites, right? Yeah, you guys didn't see this, or because we never do anything visually, but Murdoch put 10 up on the screen, so I had to correct myself. But one of the other things that is mentioned in here about his kingship is that in, in the introduction of him, it says in 1631 of First Kings, he not only considered it trivial to commit sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. So within himself, he already considered like committing sins, just it wasn't a big deal. And that's where I think adding in the Jezebel factor into it, like a lot of people kind of consider her more powerful or that she came in and manipulated him. But he was already living a lifestyle that was against God. And they set the stage up for the people to either say, we're going to serve God or we're going to serve Baal. And, and it just seemed like to go with tradition or with not tradition, but with culture, the easier route would have been Baal. But a lot of people were still during this hard time of when your king is telling you to worship one thing, they were worshiping God instead and trying to live through that life. Yeah. And for you to bring it up in that way. It's easy for us when looking back and knowing like what the Israelites were supposed to be doing and everything and be like, oh, well, they were obviously off and they had a bad king and everything else. It was like for a lot of the people during that time, 
they were probably looking at Jezebel favorably. And it's like, oh, here she comes in with these gods and she's like a powerful leader coming in. This is a great connection. You know, that's a great political marriage that happened. They probably weren't too much against Ahab as a leader. Again, they were probably all for it. And it seemed to an agricultural people bringing in these fertility gods and these different stuff that, yeah, for the people at that time, they were probably like, cool, we're good with this. But that's where you have those who weren't good with it, Elijah being one of them and all of the hundreds and thousands of other prophets who were standing and saying, no, this is not the God of Israel. Like, we need to be against this thing. Yeah, she's just wiping them out. And even to take it to that picture of the Battle of Mount Carmel, that makes it so much more bigger. Like you were saying, there's so much more behind it that it was why she was enraged, why she was furious was because then I guess the way I'm thinking about it is that if I was winning something and then all of a sudden losing and then lost bad, that would make me very upset, right? <laughs> it's the, not to trivialize it, but it's the Uno swap hands card. Yes. And like you full on the other person has two fistfuls of cards and you're down to Uno and they just lay that on you. And it's like, hold up. You were the only one left I had to kill. And then you just slaughtered all of mine and like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yes, it's that. That is a great illustration. Again, not to make trivial of the matter. But yeah, that Uno swipe. Uh, what is it? Swap hands, right? Yeah. That is a, a great example of it that, you know, it was the all of a sudden we thought we had it. And then one person came and just wiped out everything. But here's the thing in that even after the Mount Carmel experience and just all like this part of summing it up was bring all of the people up there, not just the prophets. And it was supposed to show the people, this is your God. And even then, again, just when we're looking at things like the people should have held the king accountable or done something and that didn't happen. But after that great victory, and then you, you said it earlier, is that Jezebel breathed out that threat against them, that threat of death. We have Elijah who just went through all of that going, uh, I'm terrified now. I'm going to go hide out because she, she actually is going to come and kill me. And so when we're looking at Jezebel being that villain, it's like Uno swap card or whatever. It's like, no, she's ruthless. Like if she's coming for you directly, be worried about that. Yeah. And that's really what I was getting at too. Both of those two points, but you phrased it in a way that was way better than I could have was that it was that battle to show the Israelites who really God is and who who's the God over the land. And when Baal didn't show up, that showed them right there that God is God. And that changed the perspective. It seemed like it changed the wave of the Israelites in there, which then led her to be furious. Again, it does show that villainous of her. And, and the way I really loved how Doug shared this, and I've been using it ever since the slinky thing of the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. when you when you pop it open, you can see more of everything. And when you do that with this passage itself, it doesn't seem like Jezebel is all that scary, right? Uh, up to that point, there's the introduction of Jezebel. And then there's this, or that she's killing the, the prophets. And then there's this portion where she gets mad at Elijah. But the fact that he ran and took off shows so much of what she was doing and what she was about and the character that, it, it, you know, I, I think a lot of times we preach that as like, man, Elijah shouldn't have been afraid because God just did this great thing for him. But the threat level of who Jezebel was, was real, that it did put a little bit of a fear in him. And honestly, at that point, and maybe this is something I'm still working out as far as trying to understand God and being a believer and everything else, is that Elijah wasn't the only man of God. He's definitely highlighted and God worked through him in a way that he didn't, as far as we have recorded through the other prophets. But there were other men of God who were getting killed. And it's not just like, oh, you're a man of God who sees God working. Therefore, Jezebel won't kill you. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. my friends just got killed. Like, I'm not untouchable. Right. That, that's a really good point. I think that needs to be brought into that because I, I do think that when people do look at this scripture, because we sometimes read things so quickly and that's the way it's written out. It's verse to the next verse. But the story's read so quickly without actually putting yourself in the situation it makes it so much harder to understand the situation. And when you do, it actually brings God more out into the situation. Just to flesh out that, that point, because I see it here. And when I, I'm trying to see where else I can see it in scripture, because I look at horrible things that have happened in human history. I mean, you look at the 1900s and just all of the crazy world wars and everything that were happening there. There was believers 
and there was things happening and there was evil people coming in and on mass scales murdering and doing things and even today the persecution of christians is insane around the world and so i think that it's unfair to be like well he shouldn't have been scared it's like you can trust god and still understand that my life might end and no matter how much we have the faith and the belief that hey we you know it's better for us to go and be with him i still want to be here with my wife and my kids like i do for all of the hardships like living here with the people that i'm here with and i don't think that my work here is done and i don't really want to be murdered to tell you the truth so like i have my faith in god and i have my trust there but i think that it's okay to realize the reality of situations like hey there's murderous people i don't want to get murdered like i'm kind of i'm going to go protect myself that that's a really good point i like that you even brought that up that there were other prophets out there there were other prophets prophesying and dying like he was seeing it and and kind of just going again into this point before we hit the break of uh putting yourself in in the people's shoes of of the bible time but that means you have to know what's going on culturally you have to know what's going on with the people's lives during that time it does change how we read the bible and it does bring it to life i think a lot of times we look at something from the bible reading it as like we have the whole book and so we know beginning to end and these people were immersed in it it's kind of like when we look at our own time frame right people are going to go and read about our life and what we lived through in, in future times and look at it like how did they allow all this stuff to happen through the coronavirus for example right why did this happen and that happen but living through it it's a whole different experience i mean even to now from the beginning of the pandemic to today, when it first hit, there was real fear in people. And there's still fear in people about what this can do to you and your body. I mean, both of us had it. So we know how it could jack you up. Murdoch, not so much as me. <laughs> I'm, I have some of the long COVID stuff. Like I can't drink soda anymore. It just tastes like smoke. <laughs> oh, that's the yeah. worst. I'd rather deal with the, the breathing issues that I have than the soda issue. But when it first hit, it just seemed like the scariest thing possible. And now that we've journeyed through it more and more, we kind of get more ideas of what's happening. We got more science to see what's going on. We have more medicine to help out with everything. So we're, it's different. But if people were to look back at it, yeah, we always look back at history and say like, man, those people are foolish for doing this or man, that was a great thing to do. But it is hindsight. Elijah didn't have hindsight. He just knew Jezebel was killing prophets and he was next on that hit list. So it, it does make more of a, more sense for him to say like, I'm going to go somewhere else right now for a moment. And I just want to echo on that point before we hit the break. Just it's a really good exercise for us today to look at history will be written about us during this time. And just like we brought up, hey, the people in that time, they were probably looking at Jezebel and Ahab as a good thing in light of everything that was going on with them. And there was these prophets that were trying to tell them there was even the situation on Mount Carmel where God was proving himself to be God. And so for us today to really take a look at what's going on in the world that I live in, who are the voices, what's going on, who am I following, am I seeing where God is acting, am I actually following God, am I following along with something that's cultural or something different, because just like we look back at them and go, man, they should have done the different thing, that was a bad king, those, were, those people should have realized that God was God we need to do that today. And I think that when doing that, we actually need to take the time to stop and think about it. Because honestly, I'm not going to name names. I know that we'll probably have guests on at different times who feel more comfortable naming <laughs> names. But there are some Ahabs and Jezebels around. And that's that. Let's go to the break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's end it with that one. All right, we're off to the break. Hey, church friends, it's Chris here. I bet you're wondering where we've been. Well, we had a bit of a laptop issue. You see, a few weeks ago, my laptop literally had smoke and sparks coming out of it. The motherboard was fried, and we thought we lost all the files on the laptop, including this episode, next week's episode, and the week after that's episode. But thankfully, through the help of a church friend, we were able to recover those episodes and get them to you guys. This came at an expense to us, so if you're willing and feeling generous and would like to donate to help with the cost of a new laptop and the repairs, you could Venmo us at your church friends any dollar amount that you feel God is putting on your heart. We would really appreciate the help and we really thank you for listening and supporting us in any way. 
right, welcome back. And before we move on to kind of the next chapter of the story, there was one last thing about Elijah's reaction with Jezebel that I don't know why it's a thing that popped into my mind. But you know how at the end of the Avengers movies, I'm not sure if it was the last one or the one prior to it, you have the Hulk, right? And the Hulk is just beasting out and everything's going on. But yeah, Thanos just wrecks him, right? And he's scared. Like, the Hulk doesn't want to come out to play anymore. And, like, the Hulk is a beast. And he just doesn't want to come out. And it doesn't matter. He's like, nope, not happening, not happening. So the Hulk kind of goes into hiding. Later on, he redeems himself. And, you know, he comes around and, and comes back into being the hero. But for whatever reason, I see that as being Elijah a little bit. Like, he goes in and he's just beast mode, all the prophets, all the whatever. And then coming up against Jezebel, and he's like, nope. <laughs> like, it's not happening. Because <laughs> I just pictured the, the Hulk is a beast. Like, you don't want to come up against him. But yeah, That is a really good connection. Is it? I don't know. But yeah, just, that... I couldn't get it out of my mind the whole time reading it. For pop culture, for you to bring a pop culture reference and actually it'd be good. That was really good because when you do think about Elijah, right? He comes before Ahab and he goes into the king's palace and is like, hey, it's not going to rain for three years and there's going to be a famine. And that's what's happening. And then like just walks out like he's a stud, right? And then he raises the widow's son from the dead, provides food for them throughout that whole time. So they're like, they never ran out of food. So all this cool stuff is happening. Then yeah, Mount Carmel happens and like he makes fun of the other God and he's just like walking on this high cloud. And then they kill all the other, the, the other prophets of Baal and, and kill them all and take them out. And he's like triumphantly walking away. And then, yeah, Jezebel Thanos comes and, and whoops him up and he just, yeah, I'm going to go hide and run for a little bit until he comes back. But yeah, that is a good reference. Which maybe that's the thing between Jezebel and Ahab, because when you look at Thanos coming in and he had his uh, guys, right, that would just go mm -hmm. out and you think that his side guys are the main bad guys in the beginning. <laughs> so you just have Jezebel sending out people and going to the private. Anyways, we can move on. Let's get into a <laughs> bit more specific. So we started in the broad that there is all of the prophets and she's against all the prophets. We had this specific interaction with Elijah and we get that. But now we're shifting into another mode, moving away from Elijah and the prophets just into some of her leadership, rulership, and, and how things go. So I don't know if you want to jump into the story and, and kind of walk us through it. Are we looking going to the vineyard? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so be right before that, uh, there's something telling about Ahab, uh, and it's when he's supposed to go out and wipe out Ben-Hadad. Is that it? Hadad, Hadad, Hadadad, uh, that guy. He was supposed to go out and wipe him out, but in, instead he made a treaty with him and let him live. So then one of the prophets comes up to him and gives him like this whole illustration thing and, and everything. And like Ahab's like, oh, that person needs to die for this person, yada, yada, yada. But in 1 Kings 20 verses 42, it says, then the prophet said to him, this is what the Lord says. You have set free a man I have determined should die. It is your life for his life, your people for his people. Sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. So this is right before, is it Naboth? Yeah, Naboth. Right before that incident is this encounter that he goes away, just kind of, it says like kind of sullen. I'm, I'm thinking sullen, like sad and angry or depressed and angry because of what just happened. And that does lead into what then goes into this is that he then sees Naboo's vineyard. He wants it. Naboo doesn't want to sell it. He says, no, I'm not going to sell it. It's my family's. We've had it forever. I want to keep it. And then again, this term comes in, in verse four of chapter 21. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth, the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father. And then he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. I was going to say, we see this kind of thing with the different kings that we've brought up and these different rulers, like they have all of the stuff and they have whatever, but like they want that thing. And it, it says that, well, this vineyard was next to the palace and he wants to turn it into a vegetable garden. And it's like, dude, you probably have other vegetable gardens. Like, what does it matter? He's like, well, this one and I want this one and he can't get it. And he's just sulking about it. I don't know what power and that kind of thing does to somebody to where you go to do something and someone tells you no. <laughs> you just can't handle it. It doesn't matter what you have. You just can't handle someone telling you no. It's really interesting. I, I like that you brought that up because he got told no. And he went home and threw a fit. Like he's literally angry, laying on his bed and refusing to eat. All I could think of is like a teenage kid or a child who got in trouble. And because they got in trouble just, or didn't get their way is laying there just crying. 
And then it leads into the, the next part of where Jezebel shows up and she's like, dude, what are you doing laying on the bed and acting like this? And he tells her this is what happened. So she comes up with this whole scheme of where she's going to get two people to conspire against Naboth and they're going to say that he cursed God. And then when that comes out, then they're going to stone him. And that's what happens is that she gets two people to conspire with him. They tell everyone that he cursed God. They drag him out and then he gets stoned to death. And then Ahab's able just to take the land. So here's where for me, some of the background for where she comes from and her ruling style and everything. Because her response when saying, hey, like, you said, why, why are you sad and crying on the bed? And he tells her what happens <laughs> and says in verse seven, his wife Jezebel said to him, do you not reign over Israel? Get up, eat some food and be cheerful for I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Because for her, it's like, you're the king. Take what you want. How are you going to have somebody tell you no? And that's where for her, it's just like probably on the spot figured like, oh, yeah, this is how we handle it. Just like my dad handled his brother to get on the throne. This is just the vineyard of some dude. Like, well, why are you stressed out about it? Aren't you the king? This is where I see even the difference between Ahab performing wickedness and everything in the Lord's sight. And God was obviously against him and stuff. But there was still something of a hold back in some areas. Not for Jezebel. <laughs> Jezebel plots the whole thing. And it seems to be a regular type of thing because it says that she wrote the letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent it out to the elders. And there wasn't any kickback to that. And it just seemed like she was used to having political power and ruling alongside him and, you know, having that seat and being able to take action. Because normally if somebody does something out of the norm like that, then you'd have something written in scripture that like something comes of that. You know what I mean? Like the mm -hmm. king would come or one of the elders would come and be like, oh, that wasn't really written in your name or something. But it just seemed like, oh, yeah, wrote the thing, got the thing. But it even shows that with her coming over and being in Israel, she knew that under the Israel law, that in order for a testimony to be true, there had to be like at least two witnesses. So that's where she set up, hey, get two people, give him a high seat of honor at this thing, get two people next to him. That's in my translation, two scoundrels, two people who are willing mm -hmm. to lie and uh, have them lie. Because if both of them say that he was cursing God and doing that, well, then he's guilty under your own law. So really wove this one together. And, and the historical context of where she comes from does help with understanding how she did it, like you were saying. Like this was just another day for her. Like the way to figure that out so quickly, it just seemed like it was natural. You know, this is her natural instinct to go that route to just be evil i'm just laughing because it's just like i think that we all know those people where something happens and they come up with something a little too quick i'm laughing like, because that was me <laughs> yeah that's where i've learned like maybe don't say everything out loud i think that there's somewhat of that scoundrel conniving in a lot of us but yeah if you yeah just go for it yeah it was just so quick and then I, I, where you were talking about the difference between Ahab and, and Jezebel in here, where he just went to the bed and started sulking about it. There is verse 17 of this. So I'm going to read a good portion of this. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel who rules in Samaria. He is now in Nabu's vineyard where he has, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Nabu's blood, dogs will lick your blood. So Bible, super illustrative here. Ahab said to Elijah, so have you, so you have found me, my enemy. And even in that, right, he's calling Elijah his enemy. He's kind of taking the perspective of Jezebel even more that God and God's messengers are the enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. And I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and that of Bashan, son of Aha, because you have provoked me to anger and caused Israel to sin. Also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs would devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And then we go down to verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He laid in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. Have you noticed how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will, bring, I will not bring this disaster in his day. I will bring it on the house of his son. 
where I was going at the difference between the two is that when the word of the God, word of God came to Ahab, there were times where and here specifically where he, he humbled himself and said he went around meekly. And I think that word meekly is, is so important because when we look at meek, it doesn't mean like frail or, or weak. It means strength, but controlled. And so it seemed like he kind of changed his course there. But yeah, it's just such, there's so much in, in it right there that you have. And that, that was kind of my point of wanting to read that. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it. And so again, the background, somebody raised in pure pagan and everything else and never coming to recognize God as God versus somebody raised in it, screwing up in it, whatever, but able to actually hear and respond with a contrite heart. And I think that even within that, there's so much that you just had God speaking through a prophet saying, this is going to come on you. And the response being a contrite heart and God can see the hearts of men and say, you know what? I see that response because God is patient. God is a good God. He's a good father. Like he doesn't want to bring calamity and evil on people. Like he, he will act justly. But right here is just like, oh man, he heard my words and he turned. Like what more could a father ask for? You know what I mean? Now, some of the stuff is still going to come true, but because yeah, sometimes consequences, <laughs> like God doesn't remove all of the consequence. But even in this situation, to see God turning when there's signs of repentance, I think is a really big thing to pick up on. Yeah, really huge. Continuing the story, though, Ahab does die. He dies in battle. And that's kind of the end of Ahab. But Jezebel doesn't. And, you know, with the Bible it kind of skips then to a few of the other kings in Judah in the first Kings. And then it picks up again, talking about Ahab's son who becomes king. He reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother. He served and worshiped Baal and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, just as his father had done. And that ends first Kings. And then we go further into second Kings. So in second Kings, it picks up with Elisha who comes onto the scene after Elijah gets taken into heaven. And there's a lot that Elijah does. It's just crazy. Read that. It's all great stuff. And it's not until you pick up into like chapter nine of Second Kings that we see Jezebel again. So she's kind of behind the scenes. It seems to me working now again through her son. Uh, but Jehu, he gets told that he's going to be king, but he's given the mission to wipe out all of Ahab. So that prophecy is now coming true. And he says, wipe, up all of, wipe out all of Ahab's descendants, all of the people, all the males. So he's goes, he goes on that mission, and Jehu entered the gate. She asked, have you come in peace, you murderer of my master, of your master? He looked up at the window and called out, who is on my side, who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and the, horse, and the horses as they trampled underfoot. Jehu went in, ate and drank, and, and then said, Take care of the, that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that has spoken through the servant Elijah. On the plot of the ground at Jezreel, dogs would devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot of Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. So, there ends her life, and it's this woman who, and villain who came into power and led the people astray, took the king and kind of pushed him and antagonized him to do more, tried to wipe out the worship of God, and basically was eaten by dogs to death, if I read that correctly, or hit the ground, died, and then dogs ate her body. It seems like there was even horses just trampling on her body, and then dogs came in. Not, not fun. Not at all. And again, this is the part of the Bible where you're like, PG, did we just get rated R with this thing? Uh, because it gets into some gruesomeness. But yeah, that's where, where Jezebel's life ends. And I think even that telling end of like, that no one can say this is Jezebel, like we just wiped her out from the existence where there's no plot where people can go and say this is Jezebel and this is Jezebel. But it was just, it was gone. And I think within this, again, to put ourselves into it, when we're looking at a villain like Jezebel, and we, like you, you said clearly, you know, Ahab, and there was a prophecy over Ahab and how Ahab died. He tried to skirt around it. He went into disguise, into the war, and just by chance, somebody shot an arrow and it went in between his armor and killed him and just like dogs coming up and licking the blood and everything. So God was right on in that prophecy. But then you have Jezebel and it just seems like, hold on. Ahab, bad ruler, he's dead. 
His son moves in, still not good stuff happening before Jehu comes in and actually doing the will of God. But you have Jezebel and everybody would know, yeah, Jezebel was the, the wife of Ahab, still breathing out those murderous threats to the prophets and stuff. And here you have this villain who's just allowed to keep living. It seems like her death should have happened along with Ahab's, but you have this time passing and you have this time passing, but there was the prophecy that she also would die. And just when looking at the passing of time for me to put myself in it, God is patient. You know, he wants people to turn in repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he will act. And and for me to recognize my time in history and what's going on is sometimes the time that it takes for things to transpire or for God to seemingly act in areas or to do. And we have hindsight. We can look at this. And within a couple of chapters, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, Ahab died and then Jezebel died. But all of the time that went through that, mm -hmm. like, that's the kind of thing that we're living through when we're praying and we're like, God, where are you and what's going on? And there's this wickedness going on in the world. And we can look at maybe it's never going to end. Does God actually hear our prayers? What does it look like? And God proves himself that like, whatever he says will transpire. It doesn't mean that we won't go through some stuff on the way to it. I really like that point too because even looking at her life that final moment of her death where like she put on makeup and it says painted herself up painted her eyes you know a lot of times people I've read people take that in like the context of like she was trying to seduce or be that way but I also read where she she didn't do this to entice Jehu like she didn't try to lure him in or seduce him but it was a reflection of her majesty pride and a haughty spirit like it was just her pride and haughtiness like i'm jezebel ahab may have died but i'm still alive and all that stuff that god had said and spoken about hasn't happened to me yet and almost in like in the face of god like it's not going to happen so let me dress myself up and make sure it's not like i'm flaunting who i am in front of you and then when it did happen it was such a crushing blow but the other thing i want to touch on what you were saying was that a lot of times when we look at villains there's heroes right and so throughout the course of Ahab and Jezebel, there was Elijah, the hero, and also then Elisha, the hero. And as we kind of get into like the last two episodes of the season, so we have Satan next week and then a surprise one at the end. But we always look at the villains and the heroes and we don't look at the people living through it, like the people who are the casualties in a sense or just trying to get through their life as these two things kind of battle in, in a sense and I really loved how you brought the people up because they were there were people maybe not a lot of them but there were people who were righteously seeking God and righteously wanting to do what God wanted them to do under the oppression of a ruler who was totally against God who wanted to eliminate the worship of God and they stood their ground and Ahab's reign I think was 22 years his son's reign was two years. So that's 24 years of life of living and saying, God, what's next? Who's coming next? How are we going to be freed from all this? And is worshiping you worth it still? But there were people in there who said, yeah, I'm still going to do what God wants. I'm still going to follow God. And I'm still going to go after what he wants in my life. And I think that's also important to recognize because it's hard to live in a society where you feel like as a Christian, you're not favored. And in America, we don't we don't have that too much. You know, people want to look at it and say, like, that's how it feels nowadays. But it's not that lifestyle. And what a lot of our brothers and sisters face along all over the world, and we've talked about this before on other episodes, how they're being persecuted and Christianity is really looked at. They have it rough, but they're praying and constantly seeking God's will. And I think for us to just take that time to say, you know what, let's step up as Christians, because in this story, there's a lot of physical encounters, but there's spiritual battles. Like you're saying, that battle between Bell and God, that encounter, the lightning bolt coming down, that was a spiritual battle that was happening. The prophecy of Ahab and Jezebel, where they were like, what's going to happen to them? That was spiritual stuff that was happening. And the spiritual attack of what Jezebel was trying to do to destroy God, that was all in spiritual too. So there was a lot going on there from it. Yeah, you bringing up that it was 24 years of that, like for us in America to look at, that's six presidencies. And we're, we're like, no, 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 you need to fix it by the next one. Or things are going good, so keep this guy in for another four. 
And it's like, we know, God, you need to do everything in this short timeline. And, you know, thinking, again, when you're looking at the spiritual side of it, which I think is so important, because we can look at, no, we need to get the new person in office or do this or do that. And, you know, speaking from an American point of view, which I think that more and more we're seeing that in this country, Christianity isn't viewed favorably, even if it's not the persecution that around the world it's seeing. Like, I don't think that from media and everything else in popular opinion, like, Christianity is looked down upon now but yeah to look at it as more of the spiritual war that's going on which we learn all throughout the New Testament right is that our our battle isn't flesh and blood we're not going and doing that thing I don't know why I'm just really throughout this episode sticking on Jezebel and how you brought up the amount of time and just how long a villain can be in place and how long people can go along with that villain. We're to, we're, there's two different groups, right? There's the righteous who are speaking up against it. And then there's those who are happily going with it. But for 24 years and throughout Israel's history, there were other times it went longer than 24 years. And like, man, you're just alive when you're alive. And there are villains that are alive when you're alive. And however long they're there for and whatever that looks like. And I think that we also need to be careful of who we're calling a villain. <laughs> Like, um, just because a political party might call someone a villain, are they really a villain? And then as a Christian, what do you do with your villains anyways? You pray for them, you bless them, right? You, mm. you seek all of those things. And for us to really take that on for today, I don't know why I'm just so much putting myself into this story for this episode, but it would be a scary thing with, with, with us as pastors, as Christian leaders, and with other people who, who hear us, who would be saying, no, we need to stand, and who are today saying, we need to stand on the side of God, on the side of righteousness. It's like, and again, around the world, there are Jezebels hunting people down. Yeah, it's I really, not just a Bible story, I guess, is kind of like what I'm getting at. Yeah, there's way more to it. And I, I'll agree with you. Yeah, Christianity probably isn't looked at favorably in America, but spirituality is right? Spirituality, to be spiritual, to understand all these other things of the spiritual realm, but not understand it from the godly side of it. And even thinking of Jezebel, that's what she brought in, right? She brought in spirituality, worship the Baal, who, uh, what did you say he was the god of? There was different stuff, and there's even different Baals, so it's kind of a thing, but he was like a storm god, and there were gods of fertility, and, yeah, and that like, kind of thing, yeah. Worship the spirituality of, of the and, storm god. It was also basically you broke you boil the two down. It was almost like nature worship, you know. It can yeah. kind of get to that, which we see a lot of that today. Even mm -hmm. exactly my point was spirituality of all these things without actually seeing who the creator of those things are. So there's a spirituality that's totally fine. And if you're spiritual in America, you're cool. We're, we're not going to say anything about you. But if you're saying that you have a relationship with God and that this is the way and, and you start breaking, because what spirituality does is it's, um, I'm hopefully using this word right, it's inclusive, right? So everything kind of falls into spirituality, but Christianity is exclusive. It's only this way. And the only way to get to that point is through Christ and through what he did for us. But spirituality says, no, there's many routes to get you to nirvana, heaven, or whatever you, it is. Uh, Valhalla. Valhalla for our Viking friends who listen. <laughs> there's many ways to get there, but the Bible and the prophets and Elijah were saying there's one way, one way, one way, seeking God, seeking righteousness. Christ comes into the picture. That's the way. That's what we've been telling you all along. And it totally negates all the work of someone who says spirituality is the way. And that's kind of what Jezebel is. Even when we look at it, there's a, another mention of her in Revelation. Uh, it says, and it was to the one of the churches, seven churches, that says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, which is so interesting, right? Because that parallel between giving the time to for Jezebel to repent, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her way i will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that i am he who searches the hearts and minds and i will pay each of you according to your deeds and I, i'm not going to get into the spirit of jezebel thing i'm not going to get into it i'm going to get into the characteristics of what i see here even this woman who was called jezebel who probably his name wasn't jezebel 
But if you look at the parallels between the actual Jezebel and this woman, it was false teaching, right? But there's another God. There's another way to get to heaven. And it's by loving yourself. Sexual immorality is, is loving yourself by eating food sacrificed to idols. That's love to yourself. But God still being willing to give her time. But then there's a God who searches the hearts and the minds and repays each of us. And that verse right there just says a lot that God does search our heart and mind. And he's looking for those people who are really serving him. It doesn't mean you have to be a, a image of perfection, because even as we looked at our villains, we've looked at our heroes through some of this. And some of our heroes weren't the image of perfection. They weren't the most stand up person. Elijah, who did some great things, then became afraid of Jezebel in this story. But what it's looking for is people who are constantly seeking after God more and more. All of that stuff, and I'm going to kind of circle around on that as well. Yeah, the whole spirit of Jezebel thing, <laughs> I joke around about being like maybe Baptocostal, but on that, I'm probably more Baptist than I am Costal. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to touch the, the spirit of Jezebel aspect and everything that gets in with like spiritual warfare and that whole side of things. I think that we saw some other spiritual warfare already in this episode calling down fire from heaven and stuff um but when looking at jezebel i'm kind of the same with you it seems like there was a woman and she's being labeled as jezebel purposefully to bring to remembrance everything that we talked about but when looking at being a prophetess again where jezebel came from she would have been a prophetess of those of those gods right or a high priestess or whatever then looking at the sexual immorality a lot of times when we look at that it's just like oh yeah just going around and having you know a more immorality so much, though, when it's tied into religious beliefs, and this was happening a lot during the New Testament times, you would go to a temple of another god and there would be prostitutes there. And that was part of the practices on everything. And that was part of the practices back in Jezebel's time. So when you're looking at, yes, general sexual immorality, but then that form of sexual immorality, along with the food sacrifice to idols, is like somebody coming in with other teaching, teaching you to go with other gods, right? And what that looks like. The thing on time to repent is huge. Um, I don't know anything else other than to say that God wants repentance. Like he doesn't want judgment. Even the people who follow after he's like, unless like if you repent, I'll turn away the tribulation. But if you're not going to repent, like you have consequences for your actions. But just really when looking at Jezebel and I don't know, I don't think this ties in like the spirit of Jezebel, but who Jezebel was and even this Jezebel, somebody who can come in and influence people to go in another direction right you have ahab where even he showed some signs of repentance and different things but in times of weakness right when he's crying on the bed or with whatever's going on and just like she's able to come in and he's not stopping her you know you have this influence come alongside you who's just completely opposed to god i think that's the thing about jezebel is that she was just completely opposed to god and it's like there are people in our lives, you know, whether directly in our lives or influences from the greater circles who are just completely opposed to God. And I have hope for everybody and I'll pray for everybody and what that looks like. But yeah, there will be people who are whispering in your ear, trying to teach you in a way and lead you to a path that like, it can sound good. Again, looking at the, like, just to the humanness, right? To the lust of our flesh, what sounds better? hey, go worship this God. And guess what happens when you go to his temple? You get to go and there's these prostitutes there. And like, that's your spiritual act of worship. Or to come in and say, hey, you know what? Remain celibate until you get married. And then when you get married for us as, a, as husbands, lay down your life for that woman. Give your life and love her and sacrifice your life for her and love her in that way and bring up children with, with that. And, you know, be a good father and all of those things and stay faithful to that person no extra stuff going on it's just you and that person so it's just like yeah what seems more gratifying mm -hmm. that narrow path that's set before us or that other one yeah for us to stand up kind of in the mode of elijah and say it's the it's the narrow path <laughs> it is the narrow path and like honestly i can see where the other one might be appealing and i can see where there's voices of jezebel saying hey come and do this thing come and do that thing but it's a narrow path and it's a good path. I think that a lot of people look at like, well, what do you mean we don't get to go and do that? Like, you know, what's way better than going and temple prostitutes and stuff? The relationship that I have with my wife <laughs> and with my yeah. kids, like the life that I have there is so much. I lived a party lifestyle before. <laughs> it's, it's shallow and it sucks. Like mm -hmm. God has a better thing. Yeah. Even in Revelation where, where we're reading it, it said that those, she will suffer 
and those who commit adultery with her will suffer as well. Like, even though you think that that lifestyle seems better, there is suffering. And we looked at it throughout so much of these uh, people of power who were like, I had everything, but not satisfied enough. So I constantly pursued something else. I constantly pursued something else. It doesn't satisfy. I, I want to touch on Elijah and then one more thing, and then I'll be done for this episode. But you know, we kind of joked that we're going to skirt around the being uh, the spirit of Jezebel type thing. I think I kind of talked about it vaguely yeah. and how I was talking about things without meaning we went, to, but we went more Baptist with it. So I'll go more Baptist with this one instead of Costo. Is that we do talk about when we look at John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah. And so it was the spirit of Elijah coming through uh, John the Baptist as he prophesied. And that's what a lot of people said during that time. Uh, what was interesting to me and what I want to bring out and what you were saying was Elijah was pointing towards one direction, right? Worship God, worship God, worship God, worship God only. John the Baptist came and said, worship God. And there's one coming after me that I will point the way to you. It's just him. It's just him. Worship him. And it was pointing towards the one direction and just kind of taking that idea. And like you were saying that our lifestyles as Christians should be just pointing towards God and a relationship with Jesus and consistently pointing towards that. And then the last thing that I have is that when you're talking about the, the prostitutes, they would go into the other gods temples and there were like prostitutes there well we look at the definition of a prostitute someone who sells their sells their body for sexual pleasure right so that's what we kind of look at it as going back to the first verse that i read it says there was never anyone like ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the lord and what really struck me is that word sold himself it almost in a sense he became a prostitute to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He, he sold himself, his body, his mind, his everything to do evil, to sin. And that's what we do when we sin. We are selling ourselves. And, and I mean, nowadays, if you call someone a prostitute, they're, it's almost offensive, right? Or it should be offensive. But that's what we're doing. We're prostituting ourselves for Satan to allow him, our enemy, to do what he wants and, and for us to give into those pleasures of ourselves or even not Satan. We're selling ourselves to ourselves for our own flesh for our own desires we are selling ourselves to satisfy me and what counter to all that when jesus came and when he countered all that it says don't sell yourself for yourself die to yourself to live for me and that's the huge difference and when i looked at jezebel when we went over this i didn't think of a lot of the things that we talked about on the show i kind of had this idea of who she was we were going to talk about that but man, the Bible just opens up. And when you look at it really and intently, you can see the spiritual side of things. It's just wonderful. Sorry for listeners and for you, Chris, when you're editing this, my AirPods died and I tried to throw them back in and it wasn't <laughs> happening. So I don't know if my audio is coming through a bit different, but yeah, selling ourselves. And that's the picture that God gives of himself in the Old Testament and then repeated in the New Testament that to be married to us and that he was married to the nation of Israel, and that they were prostituting themselves with these other gods and going and doing that. So when you look at the love between a husband and a wife and what's supposed to be there, and I know that there's a lot of people who have been hurt in relationships and everything else, but like, think about the ideal about what you know it was supposed to be. And when you think about God, it's like he is the ultimate faithful partner. And when we look at ourselves, it's like, we were the scandalous ones. I don't know. It's always easy within human to human point fingers at everybody else. Like when we look at this life that God's given us and what it's supposed to be and then what we've done with it through our own actions and the different things that we've chased after and everything else is like, yeah, I prostituted myself out to those things. Like you said, even to my own lust and to my own pleasures, like how much of my life did I just give over to those things? Then after coming back to Christ and him giving me a sound mind and realizing what life can be and should be and walking with a proper relationship with God and him restoring a faith and a faithfulness in me. It's like, oh man, what a mess I was going after all of those things. But we do live in a time and I'm not going to mention any websites by name because I don't want to tempt people to go out and look for them. But we live in a time to where it's just sickening to think about our mothers and sisters and daughters are going out and prostituting themselves online and doing different things and that it's being heralded as a good thing 
right? I know that I'm getting more into like the actual sexual immorality side of things, but when we're looking at the different voices and voices that are opposing God and you have all these people and I get it, it's like, hey, don't um, shame these people and don't whatever and everything else. But it's like, and I agree, like if you're in a hard spot and that's where you're ending up and everything is like, I don't want to come in and shame you, but I don't want to go with the idea that that's a good teaching that all of our women should be going out and doing that. And like, that's the goal is to sell your body. And it's not just women. I don't want to just pick on women. Guys are doing it too, but mm-hmm. that more and more for the younger generations, like that's a socially acceptable thing. You just hear about somebody and like, oh yeah, I have an account on that website. And just like, oh yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> And when we're looking at the time that we live in, there's just so many voices right now that are opposed to God and taking us away in so many different areas. And the influences come in. Sexual immorality is one, but everything that we do between our time and our money and our attentions and how we treat people and how we view people and talk to people and everything else, like, oh, you, you upset me. I'm just going to cancel you and you shouldn't exist. I'm going to throw everything about you and I'll talk bad behind your back and I'll gossip and everything else. And I don't need to fact check anything, but if it's wrong and like, I, yeah, screw you, I'm going to be bitter. Like, what about forgiveness? What about mm-hmm. seeking reconciliation? What about, you know, having unity and family and all friendship and all of these things? When I look at what Jezebel and Ahab as villains is like, you see on the physical realm of just they're coming in and murdering people, you know, whether it was as prophets or you have a piece of land that I want, <laughs> like, you know, coming in and there was just the opposition in that way. But the breakdown of society that comes from the other stuff that comes in, from moving away from God, it's those physical things become acceptable, you know, violence and murder and sexual immorality and drunkenness and all like all the stuff is like that becomes acceptable. So it's really a returning of both is that we when we return to God spiritually and that happens, the physical starts to be redeemed from there. But like you, I, I had some of the stuff that I studied. There's a lot that you were saying during this episode that I was like, oh man, build on that. That's good insight <laughs> and, and where that's coming from. So I honestly didn't think I would have that much to say about Jezebel because there's kind of just the three interactions. Like, okay, she was with the prophets and Elijah. She was with the vineyard and the boat. And then she dies under the feet of horses. Like, okay, let's talk about that for an hour. But we did. <laughs> Which it goes to the point of like, the reason why we started our podcast was because we just had these conversations. Maybe they weren't as specific as like Jezebel, but we just talked about the Bible. And I felt like the more I talked to you about it, the more I grew and I understood things that maybe I didn't see in a certain way. I hope the same is for you. Uh, It goes back that way. But my encouragement to everyone listening is find someone to talk to about the Bible about. Like, don't just be satisfied by going to church and hearing a pastor preach for 30 minutes or listening to two yahoos on a podcast talk about stuff, but find someone, find a friend who's going to sit there and or groups of friends and talk about the Bible. And, and in the Christianity circle, you know, we have these things called, called life groups or support groups or community groups. And a lot of those have been kind of deemed as like, this is just where we do life together and talk about our life. But if your life isn't talking about God, something in that group is totally wrong. Like it shouldn't just be about like, hey, have you seen this movie or that movie or entertainment stuff? But it should be talking about God, because I feel like the more as we as Christians get together and talk through the Bible, the more we understand it together. That verse, iron sharpens iron, is there for a reason. And, and that's what this is. Seriously, I was in the same position as you. What are we going to do with Jezebel for an hour? Like we threw her in there because she's a villain and people know her. And I'm not going to dive into the realm of the spirit of Jezebel because that's just not my uh, strength. So I'm not going to go into that. But what are we going to do? And look at within an hour, we brought up so much inside of it and even try to expand that slinky a little bit so that we could understand the story and this character more i told justine the other day after going through the villain series it's something i want to do as a preacher and a teacher to teach the exact same thing that we did because my eyes were just opened up on so much of these characters so this has been this has been fun next week we're looking at satan that's the big one and then we got another episode after that and uh it should this was a great season i i really feel as far as for me personally, just learning so much more. Yeah. And just again, echoing back what you were saying is for anybody who's listening, first season, we talked about Sermon on the Mount. We had a YouTube series going through the book of James. The second season, we just talked with a bunch of our friends on different stuff. This season, we're looking at villains. Like there's so many different things to talk about. You can go topical. You can look at things going on in your life and trying to find answers. You can go through a book, but to be able to find people to talk about 
these things with and i'm just going to throw out again we are called your church friends like i'm open to conversations we do have the facebook group if you don't have anybody and you're trying to talk about stuff throw things out there i know that the group is kind of small but if we can start up conversations i'm just going to put there there's some conversations we're coming from different denominational groups there's a lot of different stuff going on in the world people are trying to figure stuff out so if you're in the group act with grace we can talk on truth, but act with grace. Cause I mean, there's a lot of hard stuff and a lot of people trying to figure things out. And a lot of people don't know, or like, you know, there's been a lot of times I thought that I knew and I had to be corrected, but for us to really come as friends. Right. And like you said, friends is iron sharpens iron. It's not putting other people down about things, but if you're trying to find people to talk about stuff with, go ahead, hop on there. And you can add me on Facebook and we can talk on messenger or whatever the things are. We're called your church friends. Cause that's who we are you know <laughs> but yeah I've, I've really enjoyed the season next week getting to satan i know we've talked about him as the serpent we've talked about him as a dragon but now we're gonna circle back around and just to hit him as satan and as we've been saying the villain behind the villains right so looking forward to it yeah and then another place too if you want to contact us is uh your church friends at gmail so if you just want to send us an email you could do that one uh, as well. And we both take a look at those emails and we'll reply back and answer any of your questions or any of your thoughts. If you just want to share thoughts with us too, that's totally cool. Uh, we would love to hear it. So uh, yeah, let's wrap this one up. I am Chris. I'm your, the... We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>